Hey, hey, today we discuss talking with and listening to our kids, David's super manly fingernails, and pamplemousse as the new grapefruit. Welcome to the Grown Up With Kids, a podcast. Oh, you have an accent this time. Hey, Rachel. Hey. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm David, for those of you listening at home. <laughs> those I, of you not at our I'm kitchen Rachel. table. <laughs> and you're Rachel. Here we are. For everybody. For everybody. Here we are. Well, I mean, I'm not Rachel for everybody. <laughs> hey, just for you. <laughs> wow. So, I wanted to say thank you. Yeah. Because I just uh, wash my hands, as I do most of the time when I go to the bathroom. Oh, most of the time? Like, how? what percentage of the time? I don't know, 40, 45%. Oh, my gosh. Shut up. No way. <laughs> no, every time. And I noticed I have some new uh, new soap. Brand new. I had to, yeah. like, spend four minutes figuring out how to <laughs> turn it so it opens. <laughs> but here's the thing. is You bought this soap before, and soap's great. No complaints about the soap. Thank you. It's good. Complaints about the naming. This whole pamplemousse yeah. thing drives me nuts. <laughs> Have I mentioned this before? No. It's grapefruit, people. I you totally don't need to agree. call it pamplemousse. We all that, know what grapefruit is. Where does that even come from? Do you know? I, I actually did go down a rabbit hole looking for this a few months ago. We have too much time on our hands. And it's not clear, but you know who sort of uh, really popularized it? You went down it? a rabbit hole and then you didn't find out any information? No, no, no. I, there's, it's not clear when Pamplemousse became super popular again. Right. But I think one of the places is actually via LaCroix because they have a grapefruit uh, flavor that they call Pamplemousse. Okay, so was and it... And then I went down a LaCroix rabbit hole that oh, was gosh. not worth talking is about. It, but so it, they are the same thing, right? Pamplemousse yeah, and yeah. grapefruit. It's French. Same thing. It's how you say grapefruit oh, in French. Oh, so how do you say it in a French accent? Uh, you know I can't do accents. <laughs> like you said, I was doing an accent, but I wasn't. I just was slurring my words. Oh yeah, I don't you're know just how to drunk. do accents. It's fine. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know how to do accents. So anyway, pamplemousse out. But I do love the soap, and I appreciate that. Well, anytime. And speaking my of my pleasure, soaps. I got all kinds of funny stories I want to tell you. So tell I'm just me. gonna go back go. to back to back. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> I got a few. So uh, I think you took my toothbrush cover. Oh, dear. And then, so then I've been using your purple one, because there was a blue one that yeah. you started using. And uh-huh. then we went on a trip within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And you took the purple one. So I had no toothbrush holder. <laughs> and I use an electric toothbrush most of the time. But yeah. I ha- when I travel, I just take an old school toothbrush. Yeah. And I use it occasionally at home when I'm just like too lazy to do the whole two minutes. <laughs> so yeah. I don't like the pressure. <laughs> I know I want to go long. like a minute to a minute and a half. Okay, yeah. But hold on, on before, that, before we get to that, okay. my toothbrush that I brought on our trip and yeah. brought back tastes like shampoo. Oh, Because <laughs> no. something got on it in my dock kit. Gross. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I actually it's brought two fault. toothbrushes on our trip because I brought my electric and I brought my regular. Sometimes I get bored with my electric. And so you get I had bored. to. Is that different than me so being too lazy to two brush for a minutes? Two minutes is a long time. That's what I'm saying. It's so long. And so I just, I get bored, but then I feel bad for the teeth that I missed. And so I'd rather just do the regular. This is going crazy. This is, Wait, what do you mean I shouldn't the teeth admit this. That you missed. Well, I mean, like, I still do okay, all so the I teeth. Do, I just no. do it for a shorter amount of time. Oh, I, well, I feel bad because I start out with rigor. Like I start out on the upper rights. 
and I get those really good for a full 30 seconds. And then I go to my upper lefts and those I get for a good uh, 25 seconds. And I skip down to the bottom right and then I'm like, oh, I'm so bored. But I don't give the full effort to the bottom left. And so I feel badly for them, you know? Uh, anyway, I'm going to get cavities on the bottom left. I'm sure of it. That is <laughs> the Sad. craziest thing Did I just you've told me in 18 that? years of knowing you. <laughs> I just think two minutes is so long, and then I feel bad for the teeth that don't get the full treatment. So anyway, so I can't do the electric toothbrush every time because it's so long. I get bored, so I bring my standard toothbrush, and I we were on a five day trip, and you couldn't brush (laughs) with for two minutes (laughs) twice a day. So that's why I needed two toothbrush cases, and so I stole yours. That's fantastic. You're welcome. You took two on the one trip. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just you thought... You didn't get that. No. I just thought you had used the blue one, and then you misplaced it, so nope. you used the purple one. Nope. I took both of them because... Oh, man. Because I couldn't... Because I like the electric toothbrush, but sometimes I'm in a little bit of a hurry, and I don't want to leave yeah. those bottom lefters out. No, no, so, no. I, we got the reasoning. Okay. So I brought it's both It's not a good along. reason, but we got it. On a five-day trip, <laughs> I brought both options, because why would I want to be without options? Oh, man. I should have I just bought another toothbrush cover, because <laughs> it tastes terrible. So speaking of funny things with a toothbrush, last night um, you were not feeling well, and so you took a little bit of medicine while yeah. we were watching a TV show. And any like nighttime medicine just like knocks you out, yeah. like not I'm right toast. away, but once you're out, you're just like totally out. Toast. And so yeah. I had to walk you to bed, and you were so confused what was going on. <laughs> so I'm in the bathroom, and I think I didn't want to turn the light, which I should have because nothing was going to wake you up. But I brushed my teeth, tasted like soap. Yeah. I put it back. This morning, you know where I found my toothbrush? In a candle. No I did, way. Yeah, because it was doing it in the dark. And instead of sticking oh, it in the cup, I stuck funny. it in the candle. So your shampoo toothbrush now smells like a candle. Yeah. I had a lot of problems in the bathroom yesterday. <laughs> the other one, none, <laughs> none of them having to, to do with going to the bathroom. Okay. The other one was that I clipped my fingernails, which is kind of gross, but yeah. everyone does it, right? I don't know. Yeah. Everyone has it's nails. It's better than biting your nails. Yeah. So I was clipping my fingernails and here's the way I do my fingernails. I clip them over the sink, yeah. but I close the drain so that they get, don't go down the drain because I'm always worried they're going to clog yeah, the drain. Yeah, you're a very courteous clipper. And then I get the to- like a piece of toilet paper, clean toilet paper, obviously. Yeah. And then I just wipe them all up, and then I throw them in the trash, yep. right? So they don't sure. go down the toilet either. Yeah. Because I'm so worried about clogs. Um, but here's something else about me is you I don't must... fix anything. <laughs> and so yeah. my sink little drain thing has been broken for, what would you say, two years? year at and a half? At least. Yep, at least. And so I have to manually pull it up, like, in the sink. Yeah. So I clip my nails. No big deal. I'm also an idiot, so I just get distracted. <laughs> don't remember what I'm doing. I finish my coffee. So I brush my teeth. This is yesterday during the day. I used the electric toothbrush. Uh-huh. For a full two minutes? Doesn't taste like shampoo. Did you get the bottom lefters? I did. Good for All you. All lefters, righters, the whole <laughs> deal. And then I realized, oh, I still have coffee in my mug. I'm not going to drink this. Pour it in the sink. With your, t- your clippings. Well, now there are toenail or fingernail clippings. I didn't do my toes. Fingernail clippings. And coffee gross. in a closed up sink that you have to that undo. I have to manually stick my fingers <laughs> into so to gross. unclog. Thus, the coffee goes down with all the nail clippings, and yeah. so it totally. I think you have some, the whole thing up. I think you have unrealistic expectations about how strong your nails are. I mean, do you really think that nail clippings are going to clog it? Oh, I just 
I just assume everything's going to clog up. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of comer- or, uh, signs in coffee shop bathrooms about what you're not supposed to put down there. <laughs> so I just assume <laughs> everything clogs it up, right? Including your manly <laughs> fingernail <Nails>. clippings. <laughs> I mean, I have huge fingers. Huge. I have so much keratin. Right. I could crush well, you. Well, when you say it that way, I sound like a complete <laughs> idiot. No, you don't sound like an idiot. I think it's great. Uh, I, mean, I appreciate. You know I'm an idiot. <laughs> You've been married to me for, what, almost 16 uh, years? Yes. I don't think you're an idiot. I think you're particular. Yeah. And I think that's great. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, check you later. <laughs> All right. So we have something interesting to talk about. Yes. I stumbled upon something called the British Cohort Studies. Yes. As one does. As one does. <laughs> so what type of one does Stumble upon the British cohort. I don't know. I was Googling parenting things and just reading all these articles, and I came across this interesting article in Inc.com, which yes. I'll put in the show notes, uh, which cites this British cohort study, um, which then took me to a TED Talk done by Helen Pearson, um, who is one of the British researchers who works on this British cohort study. So the study goes back to 1946, I believe, like uh-huh. right after World War II, and they started it in the wake of World War II, baby boom. And so they started studying like all these babies being born and what their moms were doing and how you know how they were raising them. And then it's evolved over the last 70-ish years uh-huh. uh, where they track all this information. Um, and they've tracked over 70,000 kids over that time so period. So interesting. Yeah, so it's super deep. Um, and the TED Talk is called Lessons from the Longest Study on Human Development. So it's the longest study that's ever been done like this. There's a Harvard study that's similar, but much smaller number of people. So anyway, one of the things as they've looked through the data, and this is what the article was about, was they've identified one, two, three, seven. Yeah, got to count my, <laughs> my bullets. Seven things that really impact kids' outcomes, so seven things parents do Uh that really have either a positive or negative, if you don't do them, impact. Um, And the point is, these things are really, really simple. It's such a relief. Yeah, it it really is. Yes. When we go through these bullets, I find it to be such a relief. And we'll get to it after the break. No, just (laughs) We don't have breaks. (laughs) Now, to our sponsor. Oh, wait. Here are the seven things. Um, and we're only going to go into detail on the first one, but I want to list all of them because they're all relatively simple, and I think they're all worth talking to about at some point, but I think we can talk for an hour alone on this first one. So the first one is talking to and listening to your kids, and that's what we're going to focus on in just a minute. The other ones are making it clear you have ambitions for their future, so sort of setting some level of expectation that they can be someone as yeah. they grow up. Number three is, my handwriting's terrible, oh my gosh. You can't even read your own handwriting. Being emotionally, not enotechnically, being emotionally warm, so being warm with your kids. Number four, real simple, teaching them letters and numbers. Uh Uh-huh. Number five, uh, taking them on excursions, which Uh I wish this was the only one because that's all I want to do with our kids is go on random trips. Yeah. Number six is... Uh, reading to them daily, and then encouraging them to read for pleasure. So uh-huh. if you teach your kids how to read for pleasure, that's a huge differentiator. And then number seven is maybe the simplest of all of them, maintaining a regular bedtime. Yeah, In and theory, that's the, the one simplest. I look forward to the most. Yeah, we're not doing great right now on that. but <laughs> So anyway, I thought just really interesting. I read the article. Like I said, I listened to this um, TED Talk, and she's really engaging um, and – She's really interesting, and she does talk about, like, the number one thing that leads to kids having positive outcomes is not being poor. 
um, that the, that is the strongest you know predictor that kids are going to struggle is if they grew up in poverty. Um, oh, man, but in terms of what, what any of us can control in our own life yeah. uh, as parents, I mean, we can some degree control that. But the no, number one thing that we can act on is having engaged and interested parents, and that leads uh, to to having kids that have better outcomes on whole. And that's like. Uh, success level, emotional outcomes, all kinds of things. So right. really interesting. So interesting. So are we, let's dissect that. It's talking to and listening to your kids. Is that the first one? Yeah. So talking to and listening to your kids, which, you know, I think we maybe would have said we knew intuitively that's important. That's kind yeah. of an important part of emotional connection. So there's a few things that we've built into our schedule to try to do this relatively simply. Yeah. And one of those uh, that was really your idea is family dinner. Yes. All, I love family dinner, and uh, we could do, like, podcast after podcast on this. I love it so much. Um, so I think family dinner is great because we – so in our family, we have, like, a set time um, where we sit down every night. And sometimes David's here. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes one of our kids is missing at a sporting event. And we kind of adjust the timing and whatever. But we do our best to try to do family dinner at least, like, three times a week, four times a week because it really sets the tone for our family. Um, and fam- what family dinner looks like, it's kind of like um, – a family meeting where we all get to listen and hear each other really well. So some really important things that happen during our family dinner is that everybody sits at the table and sometimes um, they don't want to sit on their butts. And so we might just take a chair away and say, cool, stand up. That's fine. Um, But we also do, um, we ask about the best part of your day. I think there was a movie way back when that made me cry where they did like high lows and then it was like at the end of the movie they did some sentimental thing where they're like, a high low in like dying (laughs) moments or something. Really? Yeah. I can't remember what it was, but it was like, it was impactful. Girls just want to have fun. (laughs) Probably. I love that movie so much. It might have been pretty in pink. That's the other tiebreaker. But, um. But what I took from that was, like, it was important to hear the good parts and the bad parts of the day. And not only to hear about the child's day gives them a place and a a really safe place most of the time to express what's going on in their day, both good and bad. But it also um, teaches the question asker how to ask a question and how to listen in order to follow up that question. So we have, um, we started with, you know, asking, like literally saying, okay, now you say, hey, so-and-so, how was your day? What was the best part of your day? Now you repeat after me. So like starting with that practice and they've learned to initiate it on their own now. We've been doing it for several years. So they initiate it now and then we've taught them. So just just to clarify the mechanics of this real quickly, (laughs) anyone at the table can start this and they just ask anyone else at the table and say, what was the best part of your day? That person gets to go talk about their day, and we're trying to train them to ask follow-up questions. Like, exactly. oh, what was the best part of your day? It was PE. And then someone can say, well, why was PE the best part? And then hopefully exactly. they'll dive into it. And then once they're done, they then ask someone else, and it goes around to where everyone essentially gets a chance to ask and gets a chance to answer. Yes, so you have the asker, the answer, and then and then you have an entire family that's learning how to listen to somebody, right. which is really challenging. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Like, when you have five people sitting at a table, to not interject at every moment is very, very difficult. So it's a good, it's a really good safe place to practice a lot of social skills. And and I would say it's important to note that it's okay, that it it's actually hard for you and me 
Yeah. Because sometimes the things they're talking about are like, what? why was that the best part of your day? <laughs> or you're just like giving me a list of people you saw at recess. Yes, And exactly. that's okay. Like it's a good practice for me to be engaged and listen to them and ask a question about what they care about, yeah. even if it seems quote unquote silly. Yeah. Um, and But it's definitely hard for young kids to focus on someone else and to figure out a good question. So it's been a good skill development. Yeah. Uh, and it is fun, just as a side note, to see them like jump in and be like, oh, so-and-so, who's the best part of your day? And yes. it's like, oh, we're, you know, you guys are leading this now. Yeah. And like we have gone to dinner with friends and they will initiate the questions. And that's been really fun to watch as well. And and their friends don't really know what to do or grandparents are kind of like, what? You're yeah. asking me a question um, and don't really take it seriously. But then they, they're pretty persistent. So yep. it's been a really fun avenue um, to talk and listen to our kids um, and I think that like this can I mean this can happen in a lot of different places like it can happen in the car it can happen on the way to school you mentioned something about taking the boys to school in the morning yep I do that <laughs> 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 they get there. Yep, yep. They might be late, but I they're mean, there. <laughs> I drop them off like six blocks away. Just tell them to run. Uh, yeah, I'm late almost every other time I take them. But yeah, when I take, now it's just two of them because their oldest can walk. Um, uh, when I take the younger two, but back when it was the three of them, I always try to sort of ask them what they're looking forward to today or what's going on today. Yeah. Usually it's not a lot. They won't say much. Um, It's not nearly as good a setting and it's a relatively short ride. Um, But it is an opportunity to ask them something to engage with them and not just listen to music, which is what I really want to do because I'd like to veg out in the car. Um, And then, you know, this is less talking and listening, but I always tell them that, um, you know, that I hope they have a great day and that I'm really proud of them before they jump out of the car. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like creating these little tiny environments, uh, these moments during the day that they can be really consistent in. I think one thing to note is that sometimes it just goes really poorly. Yeah. <laughs> like well, sometimes you'll be like, what's the best part of their day, your day? And they'll be like, farting in my brother's face. Yeah. Or like, they're, yeah, there's no follow-up to that. Well, no. I was farting. And <laughs> Tell me like, more okay. about farting. Yeah. You know? no. <laughs> How did you feel emotionally when you <laughs> farted? <Yeah>. Unbelievable. <laughs> so sometimes um, it really goes south or kids can't sit still. Or... Yeah, or they're just like antsy. We It's turned into them acting out stories. Yes. Or, one of our or like kids magic likes to, tricks. Yeah, or magic tricks. One of our kids likes to um, act out some of his rules in his classroom mm-hmm. and makes all of us get involved in that. And sometimes oh, yeah. it'll go too long and we'll cut him off eventually. And we're just like, hey, it's <laughs> time to sit down you did a great job yeah but I, I think there are a couple of things to be clear on so one you mentioned this happens three-ish times a week some weeks it's five nights some weeks it's one or two yeah like it doesn't have to be perfect um, and you can always just jump back on the horse um, another thing is that it's great like the goal is for all of us to be together um, and if one you know if I was always working till 7 30 it wouldn't make sense for you guys to do it over at dinner at six every night and I'm never there but the point that I might work late or travel one day or something like that, and you guys can still do it in my absence, then I'll be there the next day. Yeah. Or a exactly. kid might have a practice or one game that's scheduled during one of our dinners. We, we can still do it. Yeah. So, again, you know, having some consistency to it, but just jumping back on the horse. Is that the yeah, metaphor? Yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> jumping back on the horse when you miss, a, miss it or when you eat in front of the TV for two nights in a row or whatever yeah. might happen in your house. Um, but th- it's a great 
place to ask questions. And the other thing I'll say is we don't always do the low. Um, we have some friends who do that, like what's the hardest part of your day? And I actually think that's a really interesting way to hear what's going on in our kids' lives. Like they don't give yeah. us, again, these deep emotional heart, right. heartbreaks and what they're, but they tell us something and it's a good thing to be able to engage with at dinner, but also just to remember like, oh, here's an area that they might find hard or be struggling. Let's yeah. pay attention to that in the future. Yes. And I was just thinking about like when we were uh, raising toddlers, I mean, one meal, our middle son like knocked himself back in the chair and like busted the back of the chair and yeah. we thought we'd have to go to the emergency room. You know, like it's really chaotic, but having those but little ones. you just sewed that finger back on <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's a huge knot in his head, but it's fine. Um, but um, but going through the actions or going through the motions is just as important. Like with toddlers, I just remember being like, "How is I don't know how we're ever going to be functioning humans. Like these guys are never going to grow up. I'm so blessed and tired. I can hardly see straight. Like yeah. I feel really good that there's food on the table and some of it is like processed chicken nuggets and weird stuff and some of it is home ground sweet potatoes. But, um, like, so the expectations change, obviously. Like, when you have toddlers and babies, like, um, it's not going to look like it does when you have a teenager in the house or yeah. when you have kids who are actually talking. But setting that place, like, you're setting a table, a place for them to be um, addressed. And, yep. and they can expect to engage at that place, even if it's not civilized. Yep. And so another place that you really do this well is at bedtime. Oh, I love bedtime with the boys because they I are... I love just after bedtime. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually do really enjoy bedtime. I think bedtime's great, but I do love <laughs> I love coming down after bedtime. Um, so sometimes I have expectations that I'll go up and tuck them in and... Um, and they'll, they frequently will be like, can you scratch my back? And that's when they'll really start talking. Sometimes I'm really good at like sitting there and being like, yeah, this is awesome. You know, like asking really good questions. Um, I go into it with those expectations set. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, for the love, I don't feel like talking, you know, like, so I kind of cut it short. But um, anyway, but that's a good, those are good moments to just sit. And if I can get myself to calm down and sit and be present, it's really sweet. Well, it's a great time because it's typically at this stage of our life one-on-one and they are kind of starting to settle down. Yes. Um, and yeah, you can just ask a question or two and sometimes it'll just become, you just laugh about stuff. Yes. But it's, it can be a really sweet moment. And um, sometimes they will just keep talking because they don't want you to stop scratching their back. That's right. It's like, it, it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. And, it, and with all of these things, it just reminds me that they don't have to be huge. Like we don't have to spend an hour and be like, okay, now I'm no, going to engage your heart. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, in that TED talk, um, Helen Pearson talks about how she, as she sort of learned from this data, she's like, oh, so I instituted this thing called talking time with our kids um, hmm. at night, and it's just 15 minutes at the end of the day, and it's, she's just like, it's just built in every day that I'm home, you know, to talk and listen for 15 minutes with my kids, huh. and so. I think that's just a reminder that this doesn't have to be a huge deal. Like it doesn't right. have to be, we got to carve out a ton of time. It could be sitting at bedtime for five to 15 minutes and just talking and actually really listening. Yeah. And I think that's a few of the things we want to finish up on is like, what are some of the, the things to think about and to focus on when we're trying to really actively listen with our kids? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think, um, 
listening for keywords or um, looking for body language along with what they're saying. Um, so they might be saying one thing, but their body shows um, shame or feels embarrassed. You know, like tapping into those things is good to try to understand what might be really going on. And then mm -hmm. asking really gentle questions. I think one of the best places that I've learned that is in this book, um, the, which has lots of versions, and we own all of them. It's called How to Talk <laughs> So Kids Will Listen um, and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk, which is – it really is really helpful. It has cartoons in it. Um, so there are different ways to understand um, how to engage your kids. The first thing is always listening to them and trying to put yourself in their shoes. So empathy is a really big deal as we learn how to talk with our kids and listen to our kids. Um, the other thing that I want to add in there is that um, – they want to hear about me too, and I forget that. Um, I think I frequently think that they just want to tell me all about themselves because they do appear to be very selfish most of the time. Kids, and not kids in general. Kids in general yeah. just are like that. They need a lot of attention, and so I frequently forget to tell them about myself and about my day, or ask them to care for me well. But when they do. It's really amazing. Like, I feel loved. They feel loved. They feel like we are um, comrades, like we are in it together. And there's this equality, which is really great. Well, and what a great way to teach them empathy through osmosis than talking about how you feel about something. Not yeah, just recounting absolutely. the best part of your day, but saying, oh, this is how I felt, or I was really happy because exactly. my friend did X, Y, or Z with me. They start to learn, like, oh, this is what normal grown-up emotions are yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. And it's not so scary that my mom had a bad day, like she's talking about it, and I'm listening, and it's good. Um, so I really like um, I really like these this book series, so How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, and they have it for little kids, and then they also have it for teens. It's very similar concepts, um, and I highly recommend it. Yeah. So a few things that I'm working on with this is so one just in general in my life I'm really working on being present so you know obvious things like not having my phone out at the dinner table or not having my phone out when we're doing bedtime yeah or when I'm trying to listen or my kids talk to them gosh but, I could use some lessons from you in that but just like <laughs> and but then also just turning my brain to the point of like I am in this room doing bedtime with my son this is the most important thing for me to do for the next five to 15 minutes. Like yeah. it's not that long and I'm going to choose to not, you know, to not be distracted. I don't say that to myself every time, but I'm really trying to. Yeah. So I think that's really important because our kid, part of getting our kids to talk to us is them believing that we're listening and that we care. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's the other thing is showing genuine interest. So when we do, you know, the thing we do at dinner could be really robotic, like what's the best part of your day? And then you right. answer and now you ask. And sometimes it is really robotic. You right, know? but it, when it's working well, and, and yes, you go through the motions for, for a discipline purpose, like to, to be disciplined in it so that we do it more than once yeah. or all the time. But it, when it's working at its best, we are setting the tone that we're really interested. We're hearing what you're saying. And we're asking good questions. And then our kids are picking that up and learning how to do that as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this uh, may be more of a male problem, but it's probably not. I think moms do this as well. But like the point of your kids telling you how they feel, even if it's negative, is not for you to fix it. Yeah. And so uh, if it's something at school or something with their sibling, like I really want to pull myself back 
to not try to fix it. Not, I definitely don't want to say, oh, it's okay, yeah. don't worry about it, because that's like belittling their feelings. I just want to be with them and sit with them in it. And then it may be something that there's a solution down the road that we should talk about. Yeah. But most of the time when they're talking about what's going on in their day or a challenge with a kid at school or whatever or challenge in class or a really great thing that happened, like they don't need me to fix it. They need me to be with them, to be in their corner for them yeah. to know that they are not alone. It kind of oh. comes back to one of those other things that was on that list of being emotionally warm. Like I want our, my kids to know that I'm on their side, I'm on their team, and I'm with them, and I will sit in their sadness or their suffering you know, yeah. or their brokenness. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to try to fix it because usually fixing is more about me telling them what they should do and what they're doing wrong, and that's right. how it comes across, right? Right. We had a really good example of this tonight. Our youngest, like, threw an ever-loving fit, like, throwing stuff in his room, just, like, angry because his brothers got to stay up a little bit later than he did tonight, and so... He's throwing a fit. He, um, Alexa, like, does a drop-in on Alexa to me while I'm doing the dishes <laughs> downstairs. And he's his sweet little voice, which, oh, our Alexa just listened to us. Yeah, you just set her off. <laughs> Keep rolling. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, he would say something through Alexa, and I could kind of hear him, like, from his bedroom. It was cute. But he's like, Mommy... And I go, yes. And he goes, I'm so sad because it's not fair. Why do my brothers and da 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 Like he goes on and on about it being fair. So my tendency is to be like, well, it's not going to be fair. Suck it. You know, like. <laughs> I wouldn't it. say suck it to my That's kids. That's not on the list, Rachel. <laughs> Tell your kids suck it. That is not warm. <laughs> no, but um, my tendency is to say, man, deal with it. You know, like it's not fair. Life's not fair. You're going to be fine. Go to bed. Um, but rather, which which would make him really angry mm-hmm. um, and throw more things across the room. But rather, I said, man, it does sound like it's really hard, even though it, it was somewhat counterintuitive to say that. And he said, yeah. And I was like, that must feel sad for you. And he responded and yeah, mom, it did feel sad, you know, like, and he he softened and was able to start thinking about how he felt about it. And then we were able to calm down, and now he's asleep, you know? But it, it could have gone south if I tried to fix him, which is my tendency. Yeah, or you, yeah. Or just said, you shouldn't feel that. You know, like, right. your brothers are older. They get to do stuff. You right. don't. It's fine. Yeah, um, I say that way too much. Oh, like, me it's too. The way it is, blah, blah. Yeah, but, life's not fair. But <laughs> acknowledging their feelings is a huge part of this. Absolutely. Positive and negative feelings of saying, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I would feel the same way. Yeah. Even if I'm not going to change the circumstances around it, like that I think means a lot. And I think this is to get on my soapbox for like 25 seconds. I think this is especially important for fathers. Mm. I think sons and daughters need to hear their fathers um, communicate feelings, emotions, Mm -hmm. need to hear their fathers validate their feelings and emotions and need to know that their fathers will be with them no matter what in, in those feelings and emotions. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. All right, drop the mic on that then. <laughs> Good soapbox, Smith. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Let's go to the stat of the week, Rach. All right, stat of the week. All right, Rach. So we've Rach. been talking about <laughs> Rach. <laughs> We've been talking about this British cohort study. 
So yeah. I did a not very deep dive, but I did um, kind of putz around, looking around at all the findings from this. There are, according to Wikipedia, there are over 770 different articles just from this study that have been written on just like, from the 70,000 person study. Yeah. Cause they, they take these like really wow. thin slices. Um, and I'm not sure if this, I, I went down this whole British government website. Um, and I'm not sure if this was from this study or for something different, but they had a study like to show you how like precise they could be. It was about kids at like 11 years old, their spatial skills based on how much green space was in their neighborhood. No way. Yeah. And it was like a That's huge difference, specific. apparently. Like, if you live in an urban neighborhood with a lot of green space, as they defined it, yeah. you're much more, much better at these spatial kind of like math really? skills. Really? Yeah. Really. What about if you live in a rural neighborhood or a rural area? I think it was focusing just on urban because that's okay. where you would actually have gaps in green space. I see. Where you could have no green space. Interesting. Or very little. Oh my gosh, so but, many. Yeah, there's other things. ones that like showed that, um, not that surprisingly, that moms who smoke had kids with higher probability of smoking. Like, yeah. So sort some of, of them obvious it, things. Yeah, there was one other one I can't remember what it was about, but the the finding as I read through it was like, oh, we found no correlation. I was like, well, that was a lot. <laughs> that was great, really helpful. So, how old were these children when they started the study? Were they just born? Yeah. So, as best I can tell, there's like it's broken up into different studies. There's like the 1946 one. There's a 1971. And there might be like a 2001 or 1991. Uh-huh. And they check back in on a regular basis on all of these. And then they're able to combine all that data and do a bunch of analysis. Super interesting. Yeah. So the one I want to ask you about actually um, was written by uh, someone from Brigham Young, Spencer James. And then it was co-written by Harry Benson from uh-huh. the Marriage Foundation. So it's about marriage. Oh, dear. And so, But oh, they, they used the, the, British, <laughs> the British data. Um, and they were actually doing some sort of study on the effects of marriage on social mobility, and it looks like maybe part of the point was to measure uh, the impact on government benefits needed. So what? So yeah. So the, essentially, like yeah, benefits for unemployment and those sorts of things that might be provided. Uh huh. But I'm gonna ask you, among British adults, what percentage more likely do you think they would be to go to university? just based on the fact that their parents were married when they were born? Oh, man, good question. Like, how, how much, how more, how, how more likely yeah. were they? Yep. Like, I don't know, like 25 or 30%? Yeah, you're right there, 23%. <laughs> really? Look at you. You know, your, you know your British cohort study <laughs> stats. <laughs> yeah, I do a little reading on the side. Yeah, they're 23% more likely to have gone... To university, it doesn't say graduate, it just says have been to university. Uh, they're actually ten percent more likely to have gotten married. Uh huh. And then if they're if their parents are married when they're born, regardless they're of whether born. they get divorced or not. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And then they were sixteen percent like less likely to have received any sort of government benefits by the time they were middle aged. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can. I mean, with I seventy thousand. People, you can really dive in and get some really that's specific findings. That's what I was going to say was, I think that's a really fascinating study over a long period of time. I mean, it means that there's just a ton of data, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, this is the last thing I'll leave you with. This is a quote from the, 
the uh, paper, so I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently the UK has the highest level of family instability in the developed world. No way. That's what they say. I wonder why. I don't know. Do you think those 70,000 people it's can the tell the bad us? dentistry <laughs> and the Beatles. Is that even real? I mean, the Beatles are, but the bad dentistry. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. So it's a, a cheap myth. joke. Might be a myth. <laughs> you like my British... Oh, if, any, if any Brits are listening to us... Maybe you could rate our British accent. <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic. Thank you. It's a, a great way to end the show. Hey, uh, thanks so much for working on the farm. Thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. Yeah.